Waterstone, our mission is to advance God's kingdom to God's glory. In 2020, we have been reading through the Bible together. We are currently learning from the prophets of Israel, who deliver God's intentions and promises by pronouncing judgment and proclaiming hope. Join us as we wrestle through the prophecies and see how they reveal the hope of Jesus, the Christ, the King. If you are able, we would love to see you at one of our services in person. We invite you to go to waterstonechurch.org to RSVP for a weekend service time on Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Morning, Waterstone. So today, which is Thursday, some of, the, some of our Waterstone students came up and hiked a 14er. So this scripture reading is coming from Mount Democrat. Jeremiah 29, 4-14. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant, guardian, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord, the Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and thank you, Daniel, for reading that for us. It's pretty cool to see scripture brought to us from the top of a 14er. Uh, welcome to Waterstone. My name is Paul Joslin, and I am the teaching pastor here. It's so good uh, to be back together with you all, and good to see everyone uh, tuning in online as well. Uh, hope you all have had a good week. Um, I'm excited for tonight's message because we are continuing in our series, uh, Love This Book, The Prophets. We've been walking through the Bible over the last year, starting in 2020. Uh, we've been going from Genesis to Revelation, looking at the grand narrative of what God is doing throughout Scripture. And our hope in walking through the entire Bible and, and going through each book and looking at the grand stories is the idea that we hope as people come to Scripture, they begin to see that Scripture is not something that, that we actually mold to make relevant to our lives, but a grand story that hopefully we mold our lives to be relevant Two. And so that's what we're going to continue doing tonight. We're going to continue with the prophets. The prophets are incredible books. They're challenging books. Sometimes they make us angry. Sometimes they make us frustrated because they begin to take off our masks. They begin to, to pull apart the things that we would rather not have exposed. And we're going to continue with that tonight because the prophets also have this conviction, this deep-seated belief that God is alive and active and at work in the world, and that the present moment we find ourselves is critical to understanding what he's doing in the world. 
And I believe tonight in the book we're looking at, the book of Jeremiah, that that is incredibly true. Jeremiah is the prophet of God in a time of Israel's history when things are incredibly chaotic. For most of his 40-year ministry, Israel is under the threat of the growing imperial expansion of Babylon. There's this growing empire that they know eventually they are going to come into conflict with. They know they're going to be challenged by. They know that they are coming for them. And so all of the prophets in Israel and all of the kings and the priests, they, they just say over and over and over again, just have faith. Just believe. There's no way that God would allow his temple and his people to be conquered by, by a pagan nation. And Jeremiah has a different message. Jeremiah's message for over 30 years is no, we are going to lose. Babylon is going to conquer us. They're going to take us into captivity. We are going to spend our days in exile away from the temple and the promised land. Be prepared. You can imagine that Jeremiah was not very popular at any of the, the dinners in Jerusalem or any of the parties that were going on there. In fact, he was so unpopular that his family disowned him. There were multiple times he was put in prison, and there were several assassination attempts on his life. He is not a popular guy. In fact, most people call him the weeping prophet. His book is full of judgment and warning and telling the people of God they need to be careful because Babylon is coming for them. But also what's interesting is there are these moments, these glimpses in Jeremiah where his words are full of hope, where they're full of this idea that, that God's work will not be finished with punishment, but that there will be restoration afterwards. And that's the message that we're going to look at tonight. But first, if you would, pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. Father, we pray that in all of the different situations and circumstances that we might find ourselves in, Father, that we pray that, that in those situations, the news of who you are and how good you are would overwhelm us. God, I pray that your goodness would overwhelm us today. God, it's your goodness that, that changes our hearts, changes the way that we see ourselves, changes the ways that we interact with the world. Father, I pray that tonight you know where everyone is who is in this room or who is watching online. Father, you know their situation, you know their circumstances, you know what they are going through. I pray that you would meet us in that place tonight and that we would know you are good. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So does anyone remember all of those social media posts and all of those tweets about how 2020 was going to be our year. Does anybody remember that? I mean, think back to 2019, December, it was the holidays, things were wrapping up, and it had been a rough year. We'd had some trouble in 2019, and there were a number of people who began putting forth this idea, 2020, that is where it is at. 2020 is going to be our year. There's so much optimism. 
and excitement. It's kind of cute, right? <laughs> like looking back on it now. That's funny, 2020. I don't know about you, but 2020 has not been my best year. In fact, there's a number of people that are beginning to make fun of how much optimism people had over their plans for 2020 and how great it was going to be. And you may have seen some of them floating around on social media. They're called My Plans versus 2020. So here's just a couple that I found that I think are kind of funny. This is a reference to The Office. This is Kevin Malone. Comes in, he's got plans to bring chili to the office, and then 2020 hits and it does not go according to plan. Or maybe you're not an office fan, but you like Seinfeld. And, all right, we got a couple. Uh, and George, I don't know about you, did anybody have some great summer plans? I mean, it was going to be your summer. And then 2020 hit, and it was not the summer of George. Or this one, I don't even honestly know what New Jersey was trying to say. I mean, after all, it is New Jersey. I don't know why someone would do that to bagels, but fits it's kind of accurate. All right, and then another one. Uh, any fans of the bad or the good place? Any, okay, couple. Yeah, everything is fine. Everything is fine. You're welcome. And then, oh no, this is actually the bad place. And then my favorite was from a tweet from Larry the Cat. 2020 was just not his year. See, it's hard to make plans in 2020. There is a lot of uncertainty. And granted, life is full of uncertainty. We always experience uncertainty. It's an inevitable part of life. But does it feel like we've experienced our fair share of uncertainty this year? I mean, there is uncertainty about our health, and there's uncertainty about our jobs, and there's uncertainty about church, and there's uncertainty about social unrest, and there's uncertainty. I think the most important thing that we need to talk about in uncertainty is, is will there be a football season this year, this fall, right? Like, there's so much uncertainty. It's been a crazy year. It's hard to make plans, and there are so many challenges we face around uncertainty. What's interesting to me is that we are actually hardwired to hate uncertainty. There's something about facing uncertainty that causes all sorts of stress and anxiety and fear in us. In fact, there have been studies that have been done to, to just see what the relationship is between uncertainty and our levels of stress and anxiety. They've done studies where people had to look under rocks on a computer program to try to find snakes. And if they found a snake, they got shocked. And what they found is people would rather know for sure and experience a shock, know when that's coming, then face the uncertainty of it might happen or it might not happen. In other words, they were so worried about experiencing this pain that they would rather face it and allow the shock to happen and know when it's going to happen than face the probability and the stress of the unknown of whether or not it'll happen. I mean, that's not really that foreign to us, though, right? I mean, we, we hear this all the time, this kind of language. Think about someone you, you may have known who is fretting over whether or not they're going to lose their job, fretting over whether or not they're going to be laid off. And then it happens, and all of a sudden the anxiety goes away because, well, at least now I know. I know what the problem is. I know what I'm facing. See, oftentimes it's not our actual circumstances that cause stress and fear, but it's the unknown. And we, I don't know about you, but I feel like it has just been dialed up to 10 over the last few months. It's this constant state of not knowing what to expect, of not knowing what the future holds. And the place we find the Israelites today is in a similar place. 
they're in this place of uncertainty, uncertainty about their future, uncertainty about what God is doing. And they're questioning and they're wanting to grasp some semblance of certainty, of being able to be anchored in something. And they're grasping at whatever they can get their hands on. Because you see, all of Jeremiah's prophecies came true. And Babylon did take Israel into exile. They conquered Jerusalem, they conquered Judah, and they take the people there into exile. They take away their homes, they take away their families, they take away all of their possessions, their city is destroyed, and they find themselves in a land that they do not know, in language that is foreign to them, in customs that are foreign to them, in religion that is foreign to them, and they're faced with the uncertainty of how long are we going to be stuck here? What is God doing? When is he going to move and act and take action? And what's interesting is while they're in this place of uncertainty, some people see an opportunity. And so priests and prophets who are in exile with the people, they begin to say things like, hey, you know what? Don't worry. God is going to show up. We are starting to have dreams of how God is going to show up. God is going to break Babylon's back. They're going to be defeated, and, and maybe it'll be through war, or maybe some sort of natural disaster, or, or maybe God will just show up in a miraculous way, and it'll be just like it was in Egypt, but God is going to do something, so don't worry, don't have fear, don't have any anxiety. God will show up. And Jeremiah hears this, because Jeremiah has been left in Israel. He hasn't been taken into Babylon. You see, they only took the people of Israel into Babylon, the people who were most prominent in society, the important people, the decision makers. And he had lost so much favor with the people, he wasn't even worth taking into exile. But he hears these rumors of God doing something, of these dreams of how God is going to show up and, and take the people out of captivity. And he says, slow down. In fact, in Jeremiah 29 he says this in his letters to the exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. You see, the people of God in the midst of their uncertainty, they want something that they can grab a hold of. And so they begin to search for a quick fix, which who can blame them? We all want a quick fix. When we feel stress, when we feel anxiety, when we feel the, the, the anxiety of the unknown, we want something that we can take hold of. We want something to fix the problem. So they turn to God and they say, God is going to show up and fix all of our problems. How often do we find ourselves in that same place, faced with uncertainties, faced with anxiety, and we just say, God, fix this. God, just fix my marriage. God, just fix my anger. God, just fix my job. Or if you can't fix my job, fix my boss. Just take care of it. I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength. I just need you to show up and do something. The problem is that's not always how life works. We cry out and we want God to, to give us the quick fix to take care of our problems. And oftentimes he doesn't. 
So we have these dreams of God showing up, and we have these ideas of what that'll look like, and then we end up disillusioned and disappointed and discouraged because he doesn't act the way that we want him to act. Because that's really what we're doing when we make those prayers, right? When we say, God, show up and fix this, what we're actually saying is, God, give me what I want. God, do what I want. Resolve the situation the way that I want it to be resolved. And we have these dreams about what that could look like. And Jeremiah's word to the people stuck in exile is, come back to reality. Stop living in your dream life. This is going to go on for a while. God is not just going to show up with a quick fix and solve all of your problems. That's not what he's doing in this moment. Man, that's a hard word. And how many times are there in our lives where, I mean, just think, if you're in exile and there are people who are telling you God is going to show up and take you out of exile, bring you back home, make everything the way it was, bring you back to the good old days, wouldn't you rather hear that than hear the word from Jeremiah that God's not going to do anything? That the circumstances you find yourself in, you're going to die in them. And it's not the encouraging word of hope that we want in those circumstances. And yet Jeremiah, in his words, he's, he's trying to anchor it in a bigger story. He's saying that you think this has happened because of, of all of the politics of our day. You think this has happened because Babylon is the next empire. What you don't realize is that God is the one who has done this. That's, not why, that's why he's not going to show up and fix everything. God is the one who has allowed Babylon to come in and take us into exile. He is the one behind the action. He's trying to, to pull them into a bigger picture, to, to see a bigger perspective that, that God is doing something that they may not like, they may not think is best, but there's a bigger story going on. I was actually struck with that idea today um, because some of you who know me, you know that I have a sweet tooth. I love sweet things. I love ice cream. I love cake. I love donuts. You can probably tell this year has been a little rough. COVID bod hit and dad bod hit all at the same time. So um, I love sweet things. And uh, growing up, I loved donuts. And we had a donut shop right next to our house. And as a kid, I always wanted to go get donuts. And I always asked my parents if we could go get donuts. I wanted donuts every day for breakfast. And the good parents that they were, they said, no, you can't have donuts every day for breakfast. Now, we've all been there, right? We've all had something we've wanted from our parents, something that we thought that they could give us or that, that we thought we deserved or we thought we should have. And when they say no, what do we do? I hate you, I'm mad at you, why don't you love me, why don't you care about me, why don't you give me donuts every day for breakfast? But then what happens is we grow up and we have kids of our own and like today, I took Camden to get donuts for the first time. She's 14 months old and we went to the store and we got donuts and went to the park and ate them together to give mom a break since I was preaching all weekend. And we sat on a bench and she ate donuts and she loved them. She was swinging her feet and she was making all of her, her noises about like, I want more and give me that donut. And she had chocolate all over her face. She loved them and it was a great moment for us. But I had that realization, right, of Camden loves donuts 
but I'm not going to give them to her every day for breakfast because now I'm 32 and I know that she's going to go crazy. I gave her 10 bites today and she was already bouncing off the walls, right? Like we understand what is good for our children even when they may not, even when it upsets them, even when it angers them. And that's part of the idea that Jeremiah is trying to bring before the Israelites. There is a bigger story going on. God is doing something that you may not like, but it has his purposes, his intent, and he is going to use these situations for good. So he's trying to give a little perspective, pull people back from these dreams that they have about how God should act, and calls them back to reality. He says, look at the bigger picture. And that's what we're called to do as well. Not only that, though, not only did Jeremiah have a word for the, the Israelites that God was not going to show up and fix all their problems, he also had a word for them that, that they needed to be prepared because God had a task for them while they were in exile. Listen to what he says in verses 5 through 7. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for the city. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now what's interesting about this part of the letter is this call to, to settle down, to plant roots, to get involved in the, the city that you have been taken to in exile. Continue to increase, don't decrease. In other words, carry on the mandate I gave the people of God at the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. Seek the prosperity of the city. Jeremiah says that God has brought them into the space in this uncertainty so that they can continue the mission of God in this unknown place. But think for a moment of what God is asking the people of God to do. These are the people who have destroyed their home. These are the people who have taken them out of their home, made them refugees. These are the people who have foreign gods and foreign customs who look down on them. God calls them to seek the prosperity of that place and that people. To seek the peace of their enemies. You see, this idea, it, it happens three times in this passage in, in the last verse. Jeremiah calls the people to seek the shalom of the city. And shalom is something we talk about a lot here at Waterstone. It's this very rich Hebrew word that talks about God's desire for the fabric of society. That all people would have emotional, physical, economical well-being in every aspect of their lives. That is what he calls them to. Eugene Peterson defines shalom this way. If I can find it. He says, shalom means wholeness. The dynamic, 
vibrating health of a society that pulses with divinely directed purpose and surges with life-transforming love. It's not just the cessation of hostility or war, but the flourishing of all of God's creation. God's heart is that the city of Babylon might flourish and that his covenant people might flourish with it. And you have to imagine them receiving this word from Jeremiah and saying, you want me to love the people that took my home away. You want me to seek the peace and prosperity of those who destroyed all of my peace and all of my prosperity. You want me to love the people who killed my wife. And God's answer is yes. There's a bigger story going on. And I wonder for us, I mean, if we were given that call, how would we respond to love our enemies in that way? People who have wronged us to that degree. I mean, think about just what's happened in our society over the last several months and all of the different ways we have divided, all of the different ways that, that we have, have made people the other, all of the different ways that, that we have protected our own tribe and our own communities. Have we sought the peace, the shalom, the prosperity of those we disagree with? I don't know about you, but most of the time I, I watch the news or I talk to someone or I see a post and I think, that's not my people. I can't stand this. I'm out. That person is too self-centered, too liberal, too conservative, too crazy, too selfish, too violent. I'm out. I don't want any part of it. And yet God's call to the people in that context is to settle down, to make their roots grow deep and to seek the common good of their enemies. It's a challenging, challenging thought. How in the world do we do that? How in the world do we find that kind of love? How in the world do we have that kind of fortitude to seek the prosperity of those people that we can't stand? That is an impossible task. And yet in this letter, Jeremiah, he calls Judah and the Israelites and the people who have been pulled into exile, he calls them to that level of sacrifice. How in the world are they supposed to do that? Well, that's the context that we find for a verse many of us are familiar with. It starts in verse 10 and it goes through 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, 
And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You see, Jeremiah says that they can find the hope to live, to settle down, to come back to reality, to not try to escape their fate, but to seek the prosperity of their enemies because they have hope. Because there is a larger story that they are anchored in. Now it's important to know that that in that verse, Jeremiah says, after 70 years have passed. If you're familiar with the ancient world at all, you know that that's, that's a long time. Not many people made it to 70 He is telling them that that this hope for the people of God is beyond their lifetime. They will not see God act in their lifetime. At least one generation, if not two, will die before God does anything to change their circumstances. And yet, they have hope. Even though God won't show up with a quick fix, even though God won't change their circumstances in their lifetime, he says, hold on to hope because God is at work in the circumstances and uncertainty you find yourself in. Though you are experiencing punishment and suffering and hardship and uncertainty, God is still at work. God still has a plan. So hope, hold on to hope. Now, when I say that, it can feel a little trivial, can it? Hope, okay, yeah, hope, yeah, sure, got it, just hope. No, but we don't understand that our story is anchored in a story that is far beyond our lifetime. It began before we began walking this earth and it will continue until after we have left it. It is a story not of, of how God is at work in our lives, but how God is at work in the universe and how we can be a part of that. And seeing what happens so many times when God doesn't show up the ways that we want. We cling to, to false hope. And we think that, that our life will just get a little bit better or God can just fix this one circumstance and then I'll be good. And, and God is calling the people of God, us, to a hope that is deeper and far beyond anything we can understand. I'm going to try though. Some of you might have seen this illustration before. I think I've definitely used it. I think Nick has used it before. Um, Unfortunately, I would usually ask for volunteers, but I can't right now because of social distancing and COVID-19. But take a look at this rope and let's just pretend that this rope is stretched out and that this rope represents eternity. It should probably be a lot longer But in the center of this rope, the red part, that's you. That's your life. I made it bigger so that you could see it in the scope of eternity. And then this little mark right here in the center, that's your present moment. That's your current circumstance. That's the thing that you want God to show up and fix. 
That's the thing that you hope God will do something about. That's a situation that you wish would just go away. That's a situation that you want God to be God and take care of things. How much time do we spend worried about this? When God is looking at a picture like this. See, and I'm not trying to trivialize your problems. I'm not trying to say that God doesn't care. He does. But I think what Jeremiah is trying to do for the people of God is say, look at the bigger picture. Our hope is so much better than our momentary circumstances being fixed. The things that we worry about. I mean, Scripture says that our life is a breath and we're worried about seconds and moments not being the way that we want them to be can we step back from our uncertainty from our suffering from our frustration from our anxiety to see that we serve a God who is bigger than our moments that we serve a God of hope who does have a future promised to us? Can we cling to the truth that our God is living and active and intimately involved in every circumstance of our lives, big and small? And can we trust that he knows what he's doing? There are these beautiful words in the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And it's one of my favorite passages because uh, the, the town or the city, the, the place, sorry, the city, the country of Narnia has been under the reign of the white witch for hundreds of years. And they begin to get word that Aslan is on the move, that Aslan is coming. And this is what C.S. Luke describes that hope like. They say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he's already landed. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if it has some enormous meaning, either a terrifying one which turns the whole dream into a nightmare or else a lovely meaning too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and always wishing you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Edmund felt the sensation of mysterious horror. Peter suddenly felt brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. That's hope. Can we hold on to hope just a little bit longer in our current circumstances and uncertainty? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
God the prophets. Their words still ring true today. That even in our frustration, even in our uncertainty, even in the moments that we just look to the sky and wonder what in the world you are doing, that we can trust the words of Scripture that, that say you do have a hope and a future for your people. That our moments of uncertainty are not the end. But as Corey Tinboom said, we can always trust our moments of unknown to a known God. Father, I pray that that would be true of this community. Whatever circumstances we're in, whatever moments we find ourselves in, God, I pray that, that we would learn to trust you, to trust your words, not in a trivial way, but that they would change who we are and how we see the world that we could have a hope beyond just our circumstances changing, but a hope that is built on the foundation that you are restoring all things to yourself. That not just our circumstances will change, but that you are changing the very fabric of creation back to the way it was originally intended. And that one day we will experience the joy and beauty and love and grace and mercy of your presence like we never have before. May that carry us from this week to the next, from this moment of exile until we return home. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.